Um, as we go into our series of sermons, we're, we've been moving through some things this month uh, about, about the church um, and that we're rooted and we've looked at our vision and our mission. And this morning, I want us to kind of look at our, our purpose. What is it that the church is for? I remember, and it may sound crazy right now because the snow is on the ground and all that, but, but uh, we're nearing the planting season for our gardens in the spring. And so farmers are hoping that this will get off their fields and the, and the ground might dry up a little bit so they can get out there and begin doing some of the work. Uh, spring is just around the corner, even if that infamous, incredulous little rodent says, no, we've got six more weeks of winter, there are six weeks until spring is what it really comes down to. Actually, we're less than that now. Um, and, and so with all the changing of seasons, we understand that it's always going to happen. There's going to be winter, there's going to be spring, there's going to be summer and fall. And in each one of those seasons, we have to prepare for the upcoming one to make sure that as people, we can sustain life. And so we, we understand that soon the, that there's going to need to be that moment when we go out and we start working with that ground again and, and getting it ready for planting. As a child growing up out in the country here on the farm, Every spring we would get out the plow and, and the discs and the rake and start going through our gardens and, and trying to make them prepared for that moment when we would you know, put that furrow down through there and we would, we would chart out the, the area of the garden to determine what we were going to grow and what sections and, and we would do everything that we could to make that soil ready to receive the seeds. We would fertilize it. We would water it. We would put the nutrients back in that would that come out normally. And, and so then if that hard work would begin, that you'd get behind that, that hoe and begin to dig that furrow, right? You know? And then you'd get down on your hands and knees and you'd begin to plant you know, the seeds. Not too deep because you want them to come up. So you always had to make sure that, that you took care in what you were doing so that you would have a good harvest later on. But then it was the things that continued to go. You'd have to continue to go out there and, and with the hoe, turn the soil and pull the weeds and water it and make sure that everything was taken care of because the whole objective of planting a garden was making sure that there would be an abundance at the end of that harvest season. You know, I often told my parents it'd be a whole lot easier if we just tossed the seeds out there and not worry about all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm sure they would, you know, they would grow, but maybe not as many. Um, and, and other things might choke them out. And so it was important that we took care of it that way. The same thing is true when it comes to the church. There's a lot of work that goes into the preparation for a church to be planted in a community so that as time goes by, eventually there is a full harvest that takes place. This church was planted... Uh, in our community back in 1930, but was doing a little research and discovered that there was already a first Christian church back here, and I can't find much about it, but back in the 1800s. Did you know that? Back in 1888, they built the first Christian church over on uh, Washington, right there by where I see the Immaculate Conception School is. Interesting. Also, they closed their doors in 1910. And they sold their building at auction. The man who bought that took the church bell and gave it to the Immaculate Conception Church. But in 1930, this church was formed again. I'd like to know what went on in the preparation and everything that first time that the first Christian church came into union. But I don't have those details. 
But this church was planted for a purpose. And so this morning I'd like to us walk through four things that we as a church do to make a difference in this community, to fulfill God's purpose in us. The first thing is this, the church was planted, number one, to exalt God, to give Him glory and to worship Him. We just had our songs that we sang of worship to God, but that's the whole thing. But it's not just here on Sunday mornings when we sing songs. This isn't just worship. Worship goes beyond that. Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 20 and 21, says this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that is work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all, all generations forever and ever. Amen. So how do we glorify or exalt God? Now, How does the church do that kind of thing? Well, I believe that we glorify and exalt God in this. When, when Jesus is magnified and when ourselves are minimized. John the Baptist said it best when he was asked about Jesus. His, John's disciples had noticed that Jesus and his disciples were gaining more of a reputation. And matter of fact, they were baptizing more people than John's uh, disciples were. And so they want to know, who, who is this Jesus? And, and John, he, he understands that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He makes this statement. And I think it might have amazed his disciples but he says this in John chapter, 30, chapter 3, verse 30. He says, He must increase, but I must decrease. The church is not about me. The kingdom of heaven, John says, is not about me. It's about Him. I'm afraid sometimes so much of our, what is done in, in many churches today, it's, it's about self-edification and self-gratification that we try to do things to build ourselves up and pat ourselves on the back because we're such a great church. And if that's the case, I don't think it's glorifying God. The church is not even really supposed to be about the church. It's about Him. We, we try to lift Him up and bring Him the glory God is also exalted when there is a singleness of mind or a unity within the family. Listen what he tells us there in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. He says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you, grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to live so united together, so much in harmony together, that, that it seems like there's one voice that comes out from amongst the church to bring glory to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our role. We are to exalt Him together. But if we're doing it with many different ways and voices and, and we're not really united, it, it's, it's distracting. I know that some things that we do are more dishonoring to God. They're, they're more blasphemous of His name, and, and, and they do more harm for the kingdom of God because sometimes the church is at odds with one another. They're not united. They're not in harmony. They're, maybe it's like there's that missing tick in your engine, and you hear something, and you know it's not right. And sometimes in the church, that same thing happens. And we're just missing beat 
just a little bit together. But God wants us to be united with one voice so that together we glorify Him. God cannot be glorified in situations where the church is in disharmony. Rather, God is glorified when we behave as the people that have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we need to glorify Him by loving each other, by by respecting each other, by cooperating with one another, trying to do things together to achieve that end, which is to glorify God and to do His work. A church, As a church, we exist first and foremost to bring glory to God. That is the primary thing that we do. That is, if you want to say, what is our number one purpose? The number one purpose is to glorify Him in this world. And we do this by pointing people to Jesus Christ and leading them to a relationship with Him. And we do that by magnifying Him in the way that we speak about Him, in the way that we talk about Him. We do that by the way that we preach the Word and by the way that we obey His Word and how we love one another. See, the church isn't about the church itself. It's about God. Now, the second thing we have to understand as a purpose of our church is that this church was planted to equip believers. But that's the second reason we're here, because we bring glory to God in the things that we do together, but we're also here to help one another grow in our faith. That's very important. Look again at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Did you catch that? All these different roles that are played out in that that sentence there of the Scripture, God has given us all these, why? To equip the saints, to equip us. Dave Hearn, in, in his blog, Warrior Shepherd, he writes a little bit about this verse. He breaks it down this way, and I want to share that with you. He says, first off, were to equip like apostles. I mean, they were the carriers of the DNA of the church. Right? They had the message, and, and so they had to go. And I believe that in some sense we are all apostles in the true sense of the meaning. The, the word apostle is defined this way. It is a delegate or a messenger, one sent forth with orders, specifically an ambassador of the gospel. And you and I have been given specific orders by Jesus to go forth into this world with a message of the good news, the gospel, to take that to our world. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are, in essence, this apostles. It's it's the message that we've got to carry to them. So he says we are the carriers of the DNA. And the word that means simply to be the one who's the messenger, the one who is sent out with the message of Christ. I think a true test of an apostolic or a missional spirit of the church is whether or not the leaders that they're raising up are being hoarded to themselves or whether we're sending them out into the world. Equipping men and women to go out into the world to make a difference as a messenger of the gospel. This church 
has raised up people that they've sent out on the mission field. They've raised up people that they've sent out into ministries. And see, that is part of who we are. We need to continue doing that. Maybe one of you is the next person to go out on the mission field. Maybe one of you is the next person that we are going to set aside and ordain for ministry and send them out somewhere. But that's what the church is supposed to do. Have you ever given thought that it might be you? Well, as we continue to equip believers, it's always been the purpose of the church to send forth missionaries with the DNA of the, of the gospel message. To equip this gift, we need to teach. So he says we have to have the equip like the prophets. These are the ones who are the listeners and the revealers of God's will, the ones who spend time trying to communicate to people what God really wants them to do in life. And so we can all be prophets as we just need to listen to the Spirit's leading in our life and, and, and understand what His Word is saying so that we can then prophesy to people about what God wants in their lives. I mean, to equip this gift, we need to teach and we need to model how to read and how to study God's Word and how to listen to the Spirit's leading and to the voice of God calling upon us. The Scripture speaks so much about God reaching out and Him speaking to us and calling us through His written Word and through creation itself. Prophets are sensitive to the compelling nature of the Holy Spirit, and we need to teach people how to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Third thing that David Hearn says is we need to equip like evangelists. These are the recruiters, he, he says. So as you, you've got to be a good communicator to be a recruiter. And, and as Christians, I think that is a prerequisite. And we say, but I like to be like Moses. I can't talk. <laughs> I'll let somebody else speak for me. You don't have that option. The option to communicate the good news to somebody else is for each and every one of us. It's not just for me or for Rob or Alan or Sean who are hired on staff. It's for each and every one of us. You've got an opportunity to reach out to people that I will never come in contact with, that I will never have an opportunity to even speak to. And you've got that opportunity to communicate. I remember the uh, Army recruiter when I was in high school and the Air Force recruiter. Man, they really spent time. Some of you guys are smiling because they got you. <laughs> I know. They got you, didn't they? All right? And I ran. No, I told them I had, I had a better army to be a part of, the army of God. But man, they, they did everything they could. I mean, they come courting. They want to take you out to dinner. They want to, you know, the Air Force, the whole Air Force jazz band came in. And I got to sit down with them and play with them and, and, and listen to their spiel about how if I would go with them, I would play before kings and presidents and all those wonderful things. Man, they really put the pressure on, try to communicate, and, and they make you feel like, I've got to go. Where's, where can I sign up? How can I do it? And see, as, as evangelists, as prophets in this world, and as evangelists, we are the recruiters for the kingdom of God. We've got to make it sound so desirable to the people that they can't wait to sign up. What do I need to do? How long do I have to wait? Do I have to be 18? Or can I sign in early? My grandfather wanted to get into World War II so quick that when he was too young, I think he was about the age of 16, he ran away, went to Canada, and joined the Royal Canadian Air Force. 
because he felt so compelled to do something in World War II. Well, Pop went to Canada, got him, brought him back down and said, no, if you're going to fight in anybody's army, it's going to be ours. And so he was able to enlist early with parental permission. What's it going to take to get people so excited and so interested to understand that what we have to offer them through Christ, they cannot live without? And they're willing to put their life on the line for it. We are the evangelists. We are the recruiters for the kingdom of God. And the church is supposed to provide the opportunities for people to practice giving their testimony and and how it points to Christ. So I love seeing some of these guys come up and, and give the communion meditations or they're leading a Sunday, a, a Sunday school class, but a small group class. And they're giving those, those chances to share their faith boldly before other people. Each and every one of us ought to have that opportunity to stand before somebody else or a group of people and say, this is why I believe. And it makes others excited about joining us. Dave Hearn says also this equipped like shepherds. He says, they're the feeders of the flock. You know, you've got to have a shepherd when you've got sheep because the sheep, they'll just wander wherever. And the shepherd keeps them together. He leads them to places where it's going to be healthy for them, where it's going to be safe for them. The pastoral facet of the church must be modeled in its actions, caring and protecting the followers of Jesus and initiating and developing relationships with one another. And in the church, we equip what is known as the saints with awareness, with servanthood, with the ability to figure out how they can serve one another and how we can serve other people. And we shepherd them that way. It's the care aspect of the church. He goes on to say that the equipped like the teachers, I mean, these are the studious sages. These are the ones that are spending their time in the Word of God, and they're taking notes of it. I love to see you know, people that, that we, we see have a personal relationship with God in their private time in their study. When you open up their Bibles, a lot of times they've got scribbles all through it. You know, and the words are going this way and this way and around and they circle and make diagrams and a lot. You know they're spending time in the Scripture. But if you spent that much time in the Scripture, maybe it's time that you spend teaching that Scripture. We can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to feed it to other people. We must teach good study habits, become good communication habits, and inspire a thirst for the knowledge of the Word of God. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I mean, they want to see it and they want to grab a hold of it. We've just got to be able to teach it, to explain to them. And no matter how your individual gifting may be, we need to use our gifts to teach people about Christ. I've seen where, where guys have taken others. We just have this wonderful fishing thing. And they'll take guys out there with them who really may not be a part of the church, and they'll just go fishing. And in their time of fishing, they're reminded of, yeah, I'm supposed to be a fisher of men also. And so they might strike up a conversation about the church and about Christ and about what God has been doing in their lives. There are others who may have a skill or a trade that they know how to do needlepoint. And so they'll take a a young lady with them and and they'll teach them how to do that. And while they're teaching them how to do this, they begin sharing their faith. We've got gifts and abilities that we're letting lie quiet rather than using them for the the work of the kingdom of God. In 2 Peter 1, verses 5 and 8, Peter says, For this very reason... 
make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with goodness, and goodness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's a growth pattern in the church. And it takes all of these different aspects that we find here in Ephesians about being an apostle and a prophet and evangelist and a shepherd and a teacher to help equip people to grow and to mature so that they can eventually spread the message of the kingdom of God. The third reason we have that the church is planted is this. It's planted to extend the love of Christ. That's simple. We're put in this world and in this location, and we're part of this church so that we can extend from us the love of Jesus Christ to the community around us and to the world. I don't want to say a whole lot about this, but I do want you to read through some scriptures with you. I'm going to let the Scripture speak for itself in this point. Out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is, proper, is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And and in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He's given us His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God, so that we have come to know and to believe The love that God has for us. God is love. And we have come to know and to believe that the love of God is for us. God is love, and whoever abides in us abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is also, are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, as a church, we have been planted right here to love. Not just to bring glory and worship to God, not just to to make a difference in our community, but to love. To love. That's important. Jesus says that they'll know that we're his disciples by the love that we have for one another. Finally, the church is planted to evangelize the lost. I mean, that's our purpose. But I think that's the first purpose of Christ when he came into this world. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as Jesus is sitting there at the table of Zacchaeus in Jericho, Everybody's kind of wondering what he's doing sitting at this man's house eating dinner with him because not only is he a tax collector and a sinner, man, he, this guy, is he's friends with Rome. And they really despise him. And Jesus is just enjoying a meal and they're, they're really squabbling about the fact that he's there. And Jesus then responds to them when he sees what they're arguing about. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, shouldn't that be our mission as a church also? To seek and to save the lost. You're not going to find the lost if you stay here. You've got to get out into your neighborhood. You've got to go down to the, the businesses around town. You've got to go hang out at the park. You've got to find places where people are to be able to discover whether or not they're lost from God. We've got to seek and save the lost. We shouldn't do anything less than what Jesus was so passionate about. Now, if you go back and read the 15th chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus describes in some parables there about how important it was to him that we go out and seek the lost. He talks about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son and everything that is done to find them and to bring them back and to restore them and to celebrate the, the fact that they have been found. But now that he's back in heaven... It's become the mission and one of the purposes of the church. Not only as individuals, but as a whole, this church needs to do things to reach out to the community around us who are lost and dying without a Savior. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told His disciples, which kind of filters down through the ages to us as well. So it's just important for us to listen to this command as it was for them that day. He came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go therefore, go. He didn't say sit and wait. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, I know we can't do this task alone. It seems like it'd be just way too much for us to do. But if I could do a count of how many people are in this church building today and online, those who are watching and listening, I think we'd have more than 120. But you see, when Jesus made that command, there are about 120 who were faithful still and kind of hung together there in Jerusalem 
with the 12 disciples. By that time, 11 disciples. And for that 120, their mission, as Jesus is saying, is to go into all the world to make disciples. If they had not taken that command seriously, you and I would not be here today. We would not be having this conversation about the church and about Christ. But they took it seriously. And they took that and they put feet to action and they went. And wherever they went, they took with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it has changed the world through the centuries. And that command is still for you and for me. It is a purpose of why this church was established to make a difference not only here in Union and in Franklin County or in Missouri, to make a difference around the world. We are to seek the lost. Yet we're not alone in this either. Because Jesus has promised us that He would give us His Spirit to go with us that His Spirit would empower us to do that task. And so we turn the page to the book of Acts chapter 1. We find there in verse 8, He says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You see, we're not commanded to do something that He has not given us the power and ability to do. The Institute for the American Church Growth asked over 10,000 people this question. What was responsible for your coming to Christ and this church? Well, here's some of their responses. About 3% said, well, I had a special need, and so they came to the church. Another 3% said, I just walked in. Have you ever just, just walked into a church? 6% said, I like the minister. Well, 6% isn't very much though, is it? That means means 94% didn't like him. All right. How about this? 1% said, well, I visited there. Somebody maybe brought them and they visited the church. 5% said, "I I like their Bible classes. 0.5, one half a percent said, well, I attended a gospel meeting, a revival of some sort. 3% said, I like their programs. But listen to this, 79% said, a friend or a relative invited me. Out of 10,000, over 10,000 people who were asked why they were a part of the church and why they were a part of worshiping Christ, it's because 79%, nearly 80% said, it's because a friend or a relative invited me. How many relatives do you have? Could we pack this place out next week? How many friends do you have? When was the last time you invited them to Christ or to church? 79% and that's a powerful thing. That task is ours. You see the survey reveals to us how important it is that every child of God, every church member be, be involved in reaching out to others. There are friends and relatives that nobody has ever invited to come and learn about Christ. 
Maybe it's time we do that. Now, the one who is, is commanding us to go, he wants us to start next door in our neighborhood, basically, is what he's saying. Then go across town, maybe hop over the river and go to the other county, or go across the sea and reach people that maybe not speak in the same language we speak. But we're told to go. And that one who told us to go himself was willing to make that journey. To leave heaven, to come to earth, and to share the love. A grandfather was visiting his grandson and he couldn't stand to hear him cry. And so every time the, the, the boy began to cry, he'd go over and he'd pick him up and hold him and rock him and he'd talk with him and play with him a little bit. But the mother had taken the son, and she laid him down for a nap. Well, just like most children, when you put them in that crib to lay down for a nap, you know what they do? They cry. So grandfather couldn't help hearing him cry, so he went into the room, and he picked him up, and then his daughter walked. And she said, Dad, he's got to stay in his crib. He cannot get out. He's got to stay in his bed. It's his nap time. Okay, so we put him back in the crib. A little bit later, she recognized there's no crying again. So she headed back to the room, find out what Grandpa was up to again. But when she got there, she noticed something different. This time, Grandpa was in the crib <laughs> with his grandson. God heard our cry and our plea. And he came down, he got in a crib with us. Because he doesn't want us to cry. He doesn't want us to go through the pain of being alone and lost. He loved us enough to enter into our world, to suffer with us. And all he asks now is that we would share that news with people. Are you willing to be one who is going to take the message that Jesus came into this world to, to love them, to redeem them, to save them? Or are you going to let them find out on their own? This church was planted to make a difference, to exalt and glorify God, Yes. To shepherd, to teach, to evangelize. Yes. But we are the church. And it's up to us. Are you willing to be the person it's going to follow what Christ asks you to do. To take His loving message to the world around you. That's our challenge today. I challenge you, don't let today go by without having a conversation with somebody outside of this building about Jesus. 
maybe you'll find out that they've just been waiting all along for you to ask. Let's pray. Father, use us. We were planted here, a church just like this back in the 1800s, but Father, for some reason, it did not fulfill its purpose, and it shut its doors, and it was sold on auction. Another generation came up, and 20 years later, they began this congregation once more. And Father, there had been faithful people here through the years who are carrying on the ministry of bringing you glory and taking your message to a world around it, sending out leaders into this world to bring people to Christ. And Father, just personally making that opportunity available from their own words to their family members and to their neighbors and to their friends and to their co-workers. And Father, may that continue, that we would be bold enough to let the gospel message be shared through our own lips. We don't want your church to die. We want it to thrive. Use us. It's in Jesus' name.